strength of the church, the strength of the church. The story of Nehemiah is a fascinating story. It's the story of a slave cupbearer who has found favor in a strange land with a strange king. It's the story of a man overcome by a burden so strongly that there was nothing else for him to do but to do something about it. I've read that story before and it shows us definitely the, the, the specifics that God can place in somebody's life because it tells us that Nehemiah, when he heard the story of how the walls were torn down, he fasted, he prayed, and he wept. And to me that seems a little bit strange to weep over a wall, yet God placed a burden upon a man for something. It's the story of a man with no previous building experience who's attempting to rebuild the entire walls surrounding a city. I'm not much of a builder myself, and that seems like a pretty monumentous task for someone that was a cupbearer that tasted uh, food and wine for the king to suddenly say, I'm going to build the walls around the city. It's the story of the miraculous feat that was accomplished in only 52 days the walls were completed. It's the story of the beginning of a restoration of Judah. And it's a story that contains all of the elements. It has surprise. It has the underdog in there. We like a good underdog story. It has a mercurial leader who, uh, I don't know if you would appreciate Nehemiah being your pastor because he prays for the people which we like, but then we also find where he discovers the people have been marrying with other people, uh, tribes are not supposed to. And he, the scripture tells us that he hits them and pulls out their hair when he learns that. Ezra was also his compatriot, and Ezra pulled out his own hair. Nehemiah pulled out other people's hair. Two comparisons there. But it's a story that involves death threats. It's a story that involves traps. It's, an, it's a story that involves lies and trickery. Really a story that has it all. And we find that one of the key elements within this story of Nehemiah and the wall building and what would continue afterwards, one of the key elements is the opposition. The opposition is led by two main figures. They are called Sambalat and Tobiah. These are the leaders of the opposition and we find that they plagued Nehemiah throughout the story and even past the walls being completed, they continue to try and entrap Nehemiah. And we see throughout the story that they represent the enemy of your soul who is out, let me remind you, to steal, to destroy, and to kill whatever you decide to embark upon for God in your own life. We see that Symbalat and Tobiah are introduced into the story when they first hear that a man has returned with a vision to rebuild the walls. In Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 10, it says, When Sembalad the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, they grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. Scripture tells us that they were sad when they heard about Nehemiah returning. From the destruction of Jerusalem, I have a lot of typos in my notes, and I'm only on the first page. From the destruction of Jerusalem 70 years prior until this point, the walls had been torn down and in disrepair. That meant that whoever wanted to enter the city of Jerusalem, whoever wanted to leave the city of Jerusalem, could enter and leave unopposed. There was nothing to block them. The city of Jerusalem had become a place for easy looting. There was no defense against the enemy to stop them. There was nothing to hide behind, nothing to run into, if you will. 
And let me remind you that sin operates the same way within our own lives. You see, before Christ, there was no wall present in our life. There was no barrier that would hinder Satan from entering your life whenever he wanted to. That's why we can have joy, an experience of joy before Christ, but that's why it is fleeting. That's why we can have peace for just a moment, and yet the peace is so easily lost. That's why love becomes a temporary thing that just moves from partner to partner. It's because we catch a glimpse of what could be, but the enemy can run in very easily into our life. It can enter into our life, and it can kill that joy. It can steal the peace. It can destroy the love that might want to have been. Would have been. But scripture tells me though that this is not a permanent situation that you need to experience in your life. Sin does not need to continue to run rampant throughout your life. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. Let me tell someone this morning that the name of the Lord is the tower that you can run into from the enemy in your life today. And if you're in any doubt of what the name of the Lord is, that name is Jesus. That name is a wall that can protect me in any situation. You see, when my joy seems like it's about to be stolen, I can call upon the name of Jesus. When peace seems to give way to anxiety and despair and I begin to feel overwhelmed, I can call upon the name of Jesus and I find my strength within Him. You see, the enemy was sad when it realized that something might hinder their previous ways with Jerusalem. And it's the same way with an individual that turns towards God. There's a disappointment. There's a consternation when an individual turns toward God. Little did they know, though, that the authority lay with Nehemiah now and not with them. And let me remind you that when you make a positive decision for the Lord and you begin to act on it, suddenly the enemy will begin to come against you in a new way. He'll begin to bring against you the enormity of the task. He'll bring that to the forefront of your mind, whether it's decision to serve the Lord. He'll remind you of what you have to give up, of what you need to change, of what you'll have to do different in your life if you're going to continue this walk with God. As God challenges people with the ministry, as He challenges people with purpose and making large decisions in their life for Christ, then he, the enemy will throw in front of your mind all the impossibilities that stand in your way, that there's no way that this can happen. There's no way that this can happen through you. It's too big to happen. It's too much change. It's impossible. But Mark chapter 9 and verse 23, Jesus said, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And I'm here to remind someone, it doesn't matter how big the change seems. It doesn't matter how impossible the task may seem that God has called you to do. It doesn't matter what the enemy says. You're going to lose this and you're going to lose that. No, I want to remind you, if you just keep believing in the Word of God, if you just keep trusting in the Word of God, God can make the impossible possible in your life today. God can take the hurdles and the obstacles and He can make a way where there seems no way. Come on, why don't you clap your hands to Him this morning? I want to encourage somebody this morning that maybe you've decided to turn towards the Lord for the first time in your life. And I want to tell you the enemy doesn't like that. 
And he's not going to sit by. And he may begin to mock the decision you've made. He may begin to throw obstacles in your way and begin to point out things that you hadn't ever noticed before. But I want to just encourage you this morning that through God, all things are possible. I'm going to keep trusting him that he said he would never leave me, that he would never forsake me, that he would be with me to the very end. And so I hold on to those words this morning in spite of everything. In spite of the mocking, Nehemiah and the people continue to build. We know that the wall continued to be built, and of course that infuriated the enemy even more. And we find now that instead of just saying, look at the task, we find that Jerusalem's enemies now begin to make the attack personal. They had mocked before, but they had just mocked the job and the task at hand, the decisions that had been made. Now they begin to attack the people and their abilities. They call them feeble. They call them foolish. They talk about how they will fail, that they can't do it, that this is just a fad in your life that's passing, that this consecration won't last very long. This commitment and this dedication will pass. And let me just say, I'm not talking about saying, yes, I'm going to live for the Lord, although that's part of it. I'm talking about young people who have made consecrations in their life. And you know what the enemy's telling you? Hey, this will pass after a while. This is not something that'll last. I'm talking to adults who have said, Lord, I put this on the altar of sacrifice. Lord, I dedicate this to you. And the enemy's saying, you know what? It's time to pick that back up. That really wasn't that big of a deal. It doesn't really matter to your salvation. There's no way that you can keep this up anyway. I'm here to tell you something this morning. The enemy's right. He's right. You know what? Nehemiah didn't respond to him at all. You know what people tell me when I can't do something? I don't know about you. What does that do inside of you? Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? It may be a mess, but I'm going to do it. They're telling Nehemiah, man, you're feeble, you're a wreck. They're telling the people, you're just going to fail anyway. You can't do it on your own. You're just Remember, these are the people that were left behind, not the book series. Uh, but these are the people that the enemy didn't want. These are people that have grown up without walls. These are people, these are the elderly, these are the infirm. These are people that don't know Jerusalem in its heyday. And he's saying, you don't even know what you're doing. You don't have a clue what you're doing. You don't have the abilities in yourself. And I understand that I must play a part, that I have a responsibility in this. But on my own, I am feeble. On my own, I am foolish. And on my own, I will fail. When I understand that I cannot save myself, that I can't even keep myself saved, that I can't keep my family the way I need to outside of His help, that's when things really begin to change. You see, maybe it's time, instead of fighting your critics, you agree with them. Well, you're not going to make it. You're right. I won't. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. And here it is, for when I am weak, then am I strong. You see, maybe it's time to tell all those people, hey, this is just a passing thing. Hey, you can't really make it anyway. You know what? You're right. But you know what? His grace is enough for me. In my weaknesses, he will make me strong. You see, I need to acknowledge that I am weak before Him. And when I do that, then all of a sudden, His strength, 
His grace comes sweeping into my life and they pick me up and they place me where I need to be in my life. You see, maybe I just don't need to, I, I, I get so, you know, we're, we're, we're in a society, you know, we got this word haters now. Haters, haters going to hate, right? And I'm not going to listen to them. You know what? I think that might be a problem. Because I tell the haters, yes, I can. Yes, I can do. I got it all together. And that doesn't work in Christianity. I don't have it together. Maybe I should listen to what the haters are saying and take their advice on board. And say, you know what? You're right. I, there, there's, there's plenty of people that have said things to me. And I know there's people who have said things to you. You've told them something and they've said, well, there's no way that can happen. And, and, and you know what? They're absolutely right. It is only by the grace. It is only by the mercy of God. It is only in my weaknesses that he can be strong. And perhaps I've just listened to him so much, I've got my back up and think I can do it. I'm setting myself up for, for failure. If I think I can do it. You know what? When God speaks to me, I need to say, you know what, Lord? That's an awful big choice. That's an awful big decision. That's, that, that's a big task that you placed before me. And I don't think I can do that. And you know what I hear him say? I know you can, but you know what? My grace is enough for you. I know you're going to have struggle living for me, but my grace is enough for you. I know that you can't do the job that I've asked you to do. But when you're weak, then I can show up strong in your life. Perhaps the reason we're not where we need to be is because we haven't allowed our weaknesses to be shown to God. The last opposition concerning the wall. Again, there's opposition that continues after the wall, but the last opposition that takes place it happens just a few verses later. They tell, man, you're a bunch of failures, you're a bunch of rejects, you're, you're, you're going to mess this up. The despair, the mocking, none of it's worked. The wall continues to be built, which of course makes Sam Ballad and his, and his cohorts furious. And it makes them mad enough that now they actually are going to go beyond words and they're going to take action. And you've been in that situation before in your life when you've made the enemy mad enough, when you've stuck to the course long enough that something actually begins to happen. It's no longer doubts, it's no longer fears, but things begin to be placed in your way. Nehemiah chapter six, uh, chapter 4 verses 6 through 8. So we built the wall and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof for the people had a mind to work. But it came to pass that when Sembal and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites, there's more people getting added here, heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, that they were very wroth and conspired all of them together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. You see, when they saw the breaches, the gaps, the old ways of entry were being closed, that I can no longer affect this person this way, that the enemy no longer has entry into your life in that point. That was the time they decided it was time to quit mocking and start fighting. And there comes a point where the enemy decides that enough is enough in your life. And he's going to begin to do something about your commitments. He's going to do something about your dedication as an individual or as a family. In Nehemiah chapter 4, in verse 10, it says, And Judah said, The strength of the bearers of the burdens is decayed, and there is much rubbish, so that we will not be able to build the wall. In verse 11 says, And our adversaries said, They shall not know, neither see, till we come in the midst of them, and slay them, and cause the work to cease. You see, Jerusalem's enemies decided that the fight had to be brought to the Jews. They knew that if they got in the middle of them, confusion would set in, that panic would set in, that the work would stop, the focus would change from the wall to fighting. 
Never forget that Nehemiah's main purpose was to build the wall. He was not called to defeat the enemies of of Jerusalem. He was called to build a wall. And let me remind you of your purpose this morning. Your purpose is not to defeat Satan, but to do his will. First of all, the reason is, is because we've heard it this morning. There's no need for me to try and defeat the enemy. He's already been defeated, and he knows it. We spend so much time trying to fight against something that's already been defeated. Jesus Christ already went to the cross. He already paid my debt. He already went to death, hell, and the grave. He took the keys. And I don't have to worry about some stuff. But the enemy wants to get my focus off of what's really important. What's important this morning is the wall, not the fight. And I understand there's times that we have to fight, and I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. There's times we have to pick up weapons, but never forget that while there may be skirmishes, while there may be battles, the outcome is assured from this point on. That I'm not fighting to decide whether there's victory or defeat. No, I'm already fighting for the winning side. I'm already fighting for Jesus Christ, and I know that victory is assured if I keep fighting for Him. You see, my purpose does not call me to live on the defensive, but it calls me to live on the offensive. And we find that Nehemiah does something with the people. All of these threats have taken place. All of this has happened. All of this has come to pass. And now Nehemiah has ignored. He's just continued the path. But something has happened where now he has to do something. The enemy's threats have reached him. Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 13 says, therefore said I in the lower places behind the wall and on the higher places, I even set the people after their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. I need some help this morning. Not like to say, man, I actually need some help this morning. I wonder if there would be three families that would come up here. It doesn't matter if you're single. It doesn't matter if you've got kids, if your kids aren't at home, just... Three families. You don't have to get goofy. You don't have to do anything but stand up here. I need one more family. Just one more. I got one more family. You really don't have to do anything goofy. There we go. Look, look, at, look at these families. You see, the enemy, <laughs> the enemy decided to come against Jerusalem. They decided they were going to take their focus off of the wall, and they were going to make them fight, change their focus. Nehemiah, he did something. He did something. Now, I've got two boys, so there's not a lot of dolls, princess Legos, or anything like that. However, we do have some weaponry. There you go. We have lightsabers. We got more foam swords. What are these Japanese ninja swords? A Minecraft sword. Let's see, 
Another lightsaber. Who wants a lightsaber? I got a crossbow here. I don't know what this is. It's sort of bent. We get a little rough with the swords. One more lightsaber. I don't know how many Jedis we've got. Here's, here's, here's another sword, another ninja sword. Who wants another ninja sword over here? There we go. All right. I didn't even get into the Nerf gun collection. But you know what he did? He said, I want all the families to come together. Now, in chapter 3, he'd been doing something interesting because to build the wall, he had put all the families. He, 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 he hadn't got like all the men together and then all the ladies. No, he'd, he'd commissioned them by families to build the wall. He said, here's your house and here's what you're responsible for, this piece of wall in front. And when the enemy came in, he did something interesting. He didn't, he didn't blow the trumpet and say, I need all the men of war. He didn't blow the trumpet and said, I need everyone who's willing to fight. No, he took the families and he placed them in battle positions according to their families. And so as the enemy comes up, now that's, that's probably not what I would do. I would, want, I would want the strongest men. I would want a commander. I would want someone who knows what's going on. I mean, look at these guys. I mean, are you going to trust them to fight for you? I mean, look at them. They got foam swords, for goodness sake. But when the, just think about that. When the enemy comes up to the walls, they know they've come to fight. Who would you expect to see? I would expect to see the strongest, the best, and the brightest. Instead, there's Todd. But just think, when, when the enemy comes up, it suddenly sees men, women, and children as families standing on the wall. When Nehemiah wanted to show the strength of Jerusalem, he said, look at my families. When the enemy comes against this church, I don't know who it expects to see. It may expect to see, well, Brother Gene's the one that needs to be out there. Well, maybe it's the Sunday school program. Well, maybe it's this. Well, maybe it's... No, no. What the enemy needs to see is families stationed on the wall. It doesn't know how to respond to strong families. No, I don't know what to do with that. I know how to, how to fight a battle of war, but I don't know how to respond to this. God is calling for families to rise up and say, no, it's not someone else's responsibility. My family is the strength of this church. God is calling families to say, you know what? I am the reason this church is strong. It's not because of all the great things we do. It's not because of community outreach. It's not because of our pastor or our Sunday school. No, it's because of my family, the unity and strength of my own family. I believe God is challenging us. He's looking for families that are willing to fortify themselves, that are willing to sacrifice themselves, that are willing to take on things that look dead and bring them back to life like the walls were, who are willing to remain faithful and committed to what God has given them to do. 
in Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 14, Nehemiah gives him a pep talk and he says, And I looked and I rose up and I said to the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, Be not afraid of them. Remember the Lord which is, which is great and terrible. Fight for your brethren. Fight for your sons and your daughters and your wives and your houses. I'm here to remind you what you're fighting for. You're fighting for God, first of all. You're fighting for your brothers, but you're fighting for your families. You're fighting for your sons, your daughters, your wives. This changes the fight for me. I don't know about you, but this changes how I view the fight. Because while I don't agree with a lot of stuff that's going on nationally and globally, I mean, if I'm honest, there's not a whole lot I can do about it besides pray. There's not a whole lot I can do. And so you know what that does for me? It gives me an excuse. I don't agree with decisions that politicians are making and governments are making, but what am I going to do? Well, you know what he says? You're not fighting for the government. You're not fighting for this thing. Just take your household and say, what can I control right here on my piece of the wall? What is it that I can protect in my own family? What is it that I can protect my own kids from? What is it that I can do on my piece of the wall? You see, the enemy's got our mind on the fight. He's got us looking way out there. But Nehemiah said, I just want you to take this piece of wall. I want you to build this wall. I want you to defend this wall. You don't have to worry about other stuff. Just do your job on this part of the wall. And I'm challenging families today. That God is placed within your care. He's placed things within your care. I'm challenging you to build the walls of your family. I'm challenging you to fight for your family. I know there's a lot of stuff going on. And that doesn't mean I'm not going to pray that the Lord will do something. But I'm going to focus myself on what God wants me to do in my family. Because the strength of this church is every family. Oh, come on. Let's praise Him right now. Can you put Isaiah up there? Isaiah chapter 60. It tells us what the wall is that I'm fighting for. What my concern needs to be. Violence shall no more be heard in thy land. Wasting nor destruction within thy borders. But thou shalt call thy walls salvation. And thy gates praise. You see, the, the enemy would just like to conflict us. And just, it would have us looking here and looking there and saying, what's going on over there? What's happening here? What's, and, and, and the whole time the wall is left unbuilt. You see, because the only reason they were fighting was so they could get back to building the wall. That's why. And the wall in this verse tells us exactly what the walls and the gates were. You see, I am called as my family. I am called, and it may be more complicated than this, I don't know, but I just felt that this was all that it was in my family. You know what we're called to do, Todd? I'm called for salvation for my family. Salvation is the wall that concerns my family. That's what I'm building. What do I need to do for my family to be saved? Does that mean I don't look anywhere else? I know there's... No, that's not what I'm saying. But I've got to make sure that my family is saved. If I've got kids at home, that means every decision I make needs to go through the filter of their salvation. If my kids aren't at home, you know what? I'm going to keep praying with a renewed fervor because the wall needs to be built in my family. 
God is calling families back to remember that salvation is what your family needs. Remember the wall of salvation. You know what? That changes how I view a lot of things. That changes a lot of my actions. A lot of things become unimportant in my life when I view my family through the lens of salvation. You see, the enemy would like your view to be everywhere else. Why don't you look at the house? Why don't you look at this? Why don't you look at that? But I've got to make sure the wall of salvation is the first thing in my life. And he says, put up the gates of praise. The gates were where everything entered and exited. Everything that comes into my family needs to come through a filter. And that filter is praise. What does Paul say? He says, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are beautiful, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Let me ask you how your family would change if that was the only things that were allowed into your family. Now, I know there's negative times. I know there's times that husbands and wives don't get along and kids don't. I know all that. But what if suddenly I decided that the filter not only is salvation, but there's nothing going to enter this family that does not come through praise? You see, because when the gate's not praise, things can begin to enter in. Bitterness can enter in. Discord can enter in. Disunity can enter in. And you know what happens when that enters into our families? The church becomes weak. You see, while we're quick to preach unity amongst people within the church, which we should have, my question to you this morning is check the unity in your own household. Check the love within your own household. When was the last time joy walked through your house? When was the last time there was any peace in your house? You see, when the gates are praise, suddenly that changes things. Because now it's things that are lovely. Now it's things that are beautiful. Things that are of good report. Those are the things that enter. And when there's praise in my life, the psalmist tells us in several places, when there's praise, there's trust in the Lord. When there's praise, there's peace of mind. When there's praise, there's faith in my life. When I praise, there's love in my life. All of these things I'm searching for. I wonder if we just set the gates of praise in our life within our families. I wonder what would happen. I wonder what would happen to a church service if the whole family entered in praise. It's been a week of praise. Think about how you may have entered church today. Think about how you may have entered church in the past, but suddenly today we enter in praise. You guys can leave your weapons on the wall and be dismissed. I'm challenged with salvation and praise. That the strength of this church is its families. And my family is commissioned to build a wall of salvation with gates of praise. And I'm closing if the musicians want to come. If they don't, they don't have to. I wanted to close with the families and the strength of the church, but the Lord impressed this upon me to end this way. I want you to not only notice how they fought. They fought the battle by families. I want you to notice where they fought from. Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 13. It's a few verses back. Could you throw that back up on the screen? Nehemiah 4 and verse 13. 
Nehemiah said, therefore said I in the lower places behind the wall and on the higher places. I even set the people after their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. Notice where they fought from. In just a few verses before, in fact, Judah, one of the messengers, had come to Nehemiah right before they're getting ready to fight. And he said, the strength of the bears of burdens is decayed and there is much rubbish. So they're not able to build the wall. And we've got the enemies coming in and there, all this stuff's going on. And Judah just comes with a bad message. Now remember, they are rebuilding the walls that have been torn down. The enemy, when they tore the walls down, did not bother to take all of the old walls with them. It was still all just laying around. That's what the rubbish is. Years of no walls and just stuff blowing in, rubbish laying there, stones laying around. It wasn't just that they had to build the walls. They had to make room for the walls from all the rubbish, all the old stuff, and then build a new wall. And he came to, to Nehemiah and said, the rubbish, they're worn out from carrying big, huge stones out of the way. They're worn out from this work. And the enemy's coming in and all this is happening. And Nehemiah says, all right, we're going to fight. I'm going to give everyone a weapon. I'm going to put them by families where they need to go. He said, I'm going to put them in the lower places and the higher places. The lower places simply meant the bottom parts, the gaps in the wall that were still there, the place where the most debris probably still was. All the rubbish was in those places. And then he said, I'm going to put them on the high places. These are the places that were still unfinished as well. And they were up high. They were right in the sun. The word actually means burnt up. People were getting sunburns up there. He put them in the two worst places to fight. Because that's where the enemy was going to come. It was where the wall was not built. And so the people that are tired, the people that are weary, they've been mocked. They've been told this isn't going to work. This isn't going to happen. And they've made it to this point And they think, okay, now we have to fight as well. And Nehemiah says, go in the worst place to fight. Go where all the mess is. You've got to be tripping over rocks and tripping over stuff. And that's where you have to fight. I want you to notice where they fought. You see, the fight doesn't take place in the best or easiest places to defend. The fight usually doesn't happen in the spiritual highs of the moment. You and I know that it's fought in the daily grind of life. The highs and lows of life. The people are tired. There's rubble everywhere. They're in an imperfect situation. They're having to fight and build. They're tired. There's reminders around them from the debris of how much work is still to be done all around them. Every stone that they walked around reminded them, I'm going to have to come back after the fight and move that stone before I can even build. There were broken walls. There was rubbish laying around. There's tiredness. There's frustration. There was fear. And now they have to fight in the worst spots in the city. They were not perfect people. They weren't perfect families. This is how I felt to end this. The only thing Nehemiah reminded them, though, was of what they were fighting for. You see, I'm not here to challenge perfect families. I'm here to challenge the parents that are struggling. I'm here to challenge the spouses who it may have been a little rough lately. Children that you're struggling to remember what you're fighting for. 
And here's what I felt the Lord wanted me to tell some family today. You may be standing in the midst of the rubbish. Decimated all around you, nothing built up, but you can still fight. You see, he didn't send them to the completed part of the wall. He sent them to the low parts and the high parts. While you're trying to figure out how to clean up all the mess, the enemy's just coming right in. I'm here to tell you today, quit worrying about the mess right now and simply stand up and fight. Stand up and fight for salvation. Stand up and fight for praise being put back in your family. I know it looks a mess right now. I know everything is not right. But this is not for perfect families. This is for imperfect people that are in the middle of the grind. They are in the middle of trials and tough times. And things aren't working out just right. But God is telling you, just forget about the mess for a minute. And just make a commitment to say, I'm going to fight again. I'm going to stand up. My family's going to fight again. Oh, come on, as we stand up all over this place. I'm here to challenge you. I'm here to encourage some family that, you know what? It may be a mess. It may be something that people know about. No one may even know what's going on in your family. But you struggle. Because you know what your mind's on? Your mind's on the mess all the time. And when worship happens, you can lift your hands and pray for a while. But you know what comes back to your mind real quick? The mess. And I know that stuff has to be fixed. You know what? They went back and they built the wall after that and they cleared the debris. I understand that. But in this moment, in this moment, I believe God's telling someone, you know what? Forget the mess. Just stand and fight again. Say, you know what? I'm going to fight for my family. I'm going to fight for my wife. I'm going to fight for my son, for my daughter, for my house. I'm going to fight for these things in my life again. Don't let the enemy into your midst because you'll only cause confusion. Stand up and fight right now. Start fighting today. And say, I know there's a mess that has to be cleaned up. But the first thing I'm going to do is say, not anymore, enemy. You're not coming into my life anymore. I'm stopping you here in this moment today. And I'm going to clean up the mess. And you've mocked me. You've done all kinds of things. You've said, my, my family's over. This is done. And it's too big a task. No. I'm going to stand and fight again today. I want us to pray right now. Lord Jesus, Lord, that you would have your way right now, that you would speak to somebody's heart right now, God. Lord, you see someone whose life may be a mess. It may not be a mess. There may just be some debris laying around. But Lord, I'm asking you to put something within someone, that you would cause something to stir within someone that says, you, I'm going to stand and fight today. I'm going to take my eyes off of what the enemy's trying to distract me with, and I'm going to stand for the Lord today. I'm going to put salvation back into my family's life. I'm going to put praise back into my life, into my family's life. This altar is open today. I wonder if, 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 if anything I've said today has touched you. I wonder if you and your family can come up today. And as a family, you make a commitment and say, today we're fighting for salvation again. Today we're fighting to put praise. I know there's a bunch of other stuff we could focus on. I know there's brokenness and hurt this and bitterness here and this there. But today we're going to join together in unity on these two things salvation must take place 
Above all else, the song says, I must be saved. My family needs to be saved. And Lord, we're putting praise back in. If I want bitterness out, why don't you start praising? If you need anger out, why don't you start praising? Whatever your family makeup is, if it's just you, if you want to join with someone, if you want to pray for yourself, maybe things have slipped within your own life. If your kids are here, if your kids are not here, and you know that they need something, step up to the wall and say, I'm going to fight again. Their lives may be broken, they may be a mess, but that's not what I'm focusing on right now. I'm focusing on fighting for salvation for them again.